Good morning, everyone. Man, it's so good to be home. Danielle and I spent the last two weeks uh, being a part of some really special church services, but it's always good to be home at church. Two weeks ago, we were hanging out with some of our Christian friends in the country of Turkey, uh, the country where the Apostle Paul was born and where the Apostle John died and where Jesus wrote his last letters in the book of Revelation to churches in Turkey to distribute to the world. Um, and there are almost a million people in the province that our friends live in. They're there living life, learning the language. They literally are spreading the aroma of Jesus everywhere they go. We just hung out and lived life with them while we went to the market and walked around their city. But with a province of nearly a million people, there's not one Christian church um, in, this, in that state that they live in. So we did house church, Pastor Scott and Danielle and myself and this family. Um, and man, it just felt like the early, like it felt like the book of Acts doing house church. Um, this family watches almost every week. Uh, one of their boys, who's become one of my little good buddies, told Danielle and Scott and I that we look much older in person than we look through the screen. <laughs> so Zeke, I love you. And camera crew, let's just keep using the good cameras because apparently they're like they're working okay. But it was just incredible. Last week, uh, Danielle and I got to worship in Scotland. Uh, for those of you who've been around a little while, you know part of our 25-year vision is to have church plants doing the work of the gospel on every populated continent of the world. We don't have our European partner yet. So about eight pastors and their wives were traveling around the country of Scotland. We met with five different churches that plant churches and three ministry organizations there. And worshiping in Scotland last Sunday was an experience um, like none other. Um, a Scottish pastor kicked off the service. An American missionary actually preached at the service. Uh, a man from Indonesia led worship. A man from Africa did the primary scripture reading. And a missionary and his wife from Germany, who are in Scotland ministering to Muslims in the country of Scotland, sat right beside us. And as we all began to worship with one voice, I thought, this has to be what heaven feels like. Um, literally people from every tribe and tongue and ethnicity and culture all worshiping together. And I just started crying. And I thought, man, this feels like heaven. So the last two weeks, I, like, I felt like I was a part of the early church. I felt like I was part of the heavenly choir. But, but I always love coming home. I love to be a part of our church because you are my church family. Matthew 16 is where we're going to hang out in our Bible study time today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Matthew 16. Pull out your notes so that you can follow along or maybe fire up your Journey Church International app or even your Bible app. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. Everything we read from Scripture will be on the screen, so it'll be super easy to follow along. But we'd like you to get a Bible if you go to our Connection Center after church and just say, hey, I don't have a Bible. I'd like to get one. We will help you get your own Bible so that you can have your own copy of God's Word. We are in the bullseye right now of impactful ministry this summer. Uh, literally a quarter of our church is not even here today. We have about 500 students and adults that right now just went by Salina, Kansas. I was checking the buses between services. About 500 students and leaders headed to a week of camp in Estes Park, Colorado at YMCA, the Rockies. Literally before the end of this service, I'll be racing to the airport to get on an airplane to go preach to them this week. We got a team of almost 30 
this morning in Guatemala who's with one of our Guatemalan partners, and they'll be in the mountain villages of Guatemala that our church is sponsored, helping to bring fresh water, helping to bring health care, building schools, building churches all week long. And Sherry, we're getting ready with probably, probably a thousand people next week. We'll unleash on our community and we'll serve thousands of hours of community service as a local congregation next week. Not so the people in our city know who Journey is, but so the people in our city know how Jesus cares. So like this two weeks is the most powerful two weeks of the summer for us. And we're in the kind of near the tail end of this series that we're in the 14th week of 17 weeks just learning about the kingdom of God. We started with five sermons on kingdom foundations. What is the worldview that people who follow Jesus believe? What are the staple parts of our worldview? Probably my favorite part of the series was six weeks that we did just looking at biblical characters that we just called spiritual profiles. We looked at people in the Bible and said, what can we learn about their faith that we can implement in our faith so that we can have impact in our world? In the last two weeks and today, we're now moving into the final part of the series where we're learning spiritual mindsets. We're trying to learn the perspectives and the lens that Christian people have when they look at the world, how do we see it and what colored lenses do we have showing us how Jesus is working in our world. First two weeks of the series were preached by one of our church planning residents, Christian Gracia, and Pastor Marcellus Casey. We learned our first spiritual mindset in week one. We said that by reflecting on what Jesus has done in our past, we can trust what Jesus is doing today, and we can have great faith in what Jesus is doing in the future. We can be faithful in the future. No matter what today looks like, how do Christians look at the world? We look at the world this way. No matter what is happening today, we look at what Jesus did yesterday, and we trust what Jesus is going to do tomorrow. That's the mindset that Christians have. We learned last week from Marcellus that Jesus and his church are the hope of the world. Jesus is the savior of the world, and he's going to launch a mission that will bring hope to the world called his church. We learned that last week. And today we're going to add a little bit of tension into how we're supposed to think, because not all of us are there yet. And once we get there... Um, it'll be better for us and better for our world. Here's the third spiritual mindset that we're going to learn today. We're going to learn from Jesus that suffering like Jesus makes us more like Jesus. And it helps the world more clearly see Jesus in us. You say, now why is there tension in this spiritual mindset? Well, one, because none of us want to do the first part. Those of us who've studied the Jesus story, and we understand how, like, how it ends... None of us really want to suffer like Jesus if we don't have to. If it's an option to follow Jesus without suffering like Jesus, I would sign up for that. But we want to be like Jesus, so there's the tension. We don't want the first part. We do want the second part. And I think real followers of Jesus feel called to the third part. Like, we want the world to look at us and see Jesus. We also, second part, want to be like Jesus. The question is, do we have to suffer like Jesus? Jesus. Some of you are in here today or you're watching online and you are in a real season of suffering. It's been the hardest time of your life. Or perhaps even as I've started talking about this message, you're thinking about somebody who is suffering horribly. The goal of this message today is to frame what you're going through in a way that allows you to maybe see Jesus more clearly, that allows you to see maybe what you're going through more clearly. And allows you to see how God can use it more clearly. 
So we, we always pray before we start our services, but I'm going to ask you to pray two very specific things as we pray today. One, I'm going to ask you as we pray to always pray that God will speak to you. That's, that's very apparent in our services. But two, if you know someone who's suffering and they're struggling because they're suffering, I'm going to ask you to pray that God will give you the wisdom for how to get the truth of this message into their hands so that maybe they can see Jesus in the midst of their suffering. So I want, I want you to pray for a specific person if you know someone who's hurting. So let's pray together before we kick off. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over the room if you're watching online. Take that deep breath, settle your soul. Two prayers. Ask God to speak to your heart, to show you what you need to learn. And then if you know someone who's suffering right now, and they're struggling in their suffering, would you pray that God might use this message to help you help them? God, our request is pretty simple. We do not just want to be in church. Most of us are too busy for that. But we do want to hear from you. That's why we're here. That's why we're tuned in. So God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Speak to us about our own suffering, the suffering of those people that we know. And God, I pray that you might show us how we can see Jesus more clearly when we suffer. And God, I pray that you might do it in a way that allows others to see Jesus in us more clearly when they see us suffer. That's our prayer. And God, we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. So Matthew chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 21. Jesus has just told his disciples that he is the Savior who they've been waiting on their entire life. He is the Jewish Savior God promised to come and change the world. And he's going to start a mission called his church that literally is going to bring hope to the world. That's where we left off. Jesus and his church are the hope of the world. Here's where we pick up in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples... That he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he'll reward each person according to what they've done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. If you have your Bible open in a pen, go up to the first three words of verse 21 and underline the words from that time. Because we are entering the third and final phase of Jesus' ministry among his disciples, and this line kind of tells us there is a shift. Literally from Matthew 16, 21, we draw a direct line to the cross, and Jesus, as we have talked through this series, called his disciples to three unique seasons of ministry that all followed each other. His first call to his disciples was come and see. His second call to his disciples was come and follow. His third call to his disciples was come and die. And depending on where you are in your spiritual journey, one of these calls is for you. If you've not even begun your spiritual journey yet, the call to you is come and see. Come and see who Jesus is. 
Come and see what Jesus says. Come and see what life with Jesus looks like. We actually are calling 2022 at Journey the year of come and see because we built this new building and we knew a lot of people from our community would walk into the building not to see Journey and not to see Jesus, but just to see the building because they've been driving by it. And our prayer is that when they entered the building, they wouldn't see us, but they would see Jesus. So 2022 is our year of come and see. And if you are not a follower of Jesus yet, don't reject him until you come and see who he is and what he says and how he works. Jesus, after he invited his disciples to come and see, would choose 12 of them, and he would say, I want you to come and follow my teaching, and I want you to learn my message, and I want you to be my apostles. I want you to be my disciples, and I want you to live just like me. Most followers of Jesus fall into this second category where we know who Jesus is, we even like Jesus, we just need to learn to follow better. 2023 at Journey is the year of come and follow. Our really three goals at Journey are to make sure we provide really good spiritual care or what we call shepherding, really good spiritual growth, teaching you how to walk with Jesus, really good spiritual development, helping you become who Jesus wants you to become. That is the goal of 2023 for us that you would come and follow. And 2024 is the year of come and die. Um, That sounds a little worse than it is. So please still come to church in 2024. We're not actually going to die. We're just, we're going to like maybe take some risks for Jesus as we fulfill the mission that God is calling us to. This text in scripture is where Jesus went from telling the disciples, come see what I'm all about to, I'm going to ask you to give your life. And he was very, very clear that unless you're willing to lose your life for who Jesus is, you're not really going to find the life that Jesus wants you to have. Really, this entire text hinges on verse 23. Because on verse 23, we see two perspectives, two ways to look at the world. One is through the lens of human concerns, how everything in life impacts me. And one is through the lens of the concerns of God, how God is using everything in life for his kingdom and his purposes. And really, the goal of this message is to help you see what human concerns look like and when you're thinking that way, when you're thinking of yourself and how to see spiritual concerns and how you know when you're thinking of leveraging the things in your life for God and for his gospel. So we're going to start with number one, human concerns, because Jesus calls these spiritual stumbling blocks. Things that are going to get in your way spiritually as you try to follow Jesus are human concerns. Always trying to figure out how things impact you rather than how God is using things to impact his kingdom. Look at verses 21 through 23 again. From that time on, we know that signals the final phase of Jesus' ministry. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Human concerns can be a a spiritual stumbling block. Turn to someone that you came with and say, Satan. Come on, say it like you're not afraid of him. Turn to someone and say, Satan. So this is what Jesus calls Peter, pretty clearly. He calls Peter Satan. I'm going to take the other side of how we see Peter, and I'm actually going to be his advocate today. Because as I read this, because I know the full story, 
I don't see Peter, in my perspective, acting like Satan. I see him acting like we would act with the information that he currently has. And the thing that leads me to that conclusion are three important notes that we, like, we have to acknowledge about Peter before we kind of get into this text. Those three notes are this. Note number one, we have to realize that none of the disciples signed up to suffer when they began to follow Jesus. It was not what they were asked to do. It was not what they were invited to do. It's not what they committed to do. They're, like If you look at all of the text before this, we don't see where the disciples were invited to come suffer with Jesus before this. As a matter of fact, they thought they were coming to reign and conquer with Jesus. These guys were in a small group Bible study with a guy by the name of John, who was a baptizer. We know him as John the Baptist. And at some point in John's ministry, John's like, you need to be following that guy, not me. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Messiah. You need to follow him. They all understood the Messiah to be this Jewish military general who was going to come conquer the world and set up a spiritual kingdom. That is what they signed up for. And up to this point, they had not even experienced suffering, a little bit of rejection, a little bit of turmoil, a little bit of conflict. But you could not say before this, they had experienced massive suffering. So they had not been called to suffer. They, they hadn't experienced any suffering. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going to die and you all have to be ready to die too. And Peter's like, hang on, um, let's not do that. Like, like, let's not do that. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. You say, why would Peter say that? Because the second note that we need to reflect on is that faith and fear will rarely lead us to the same goal. And Peter was responding in fear. I think for two reasons, and I think one of them probably carried more weight. I don't think Peter was primarily concerned about losing a person. When you study ancient Middle Eastern history, the vast majority of people didn't even live till 40 or 50. Healthcare like was non-existent. So I don't think Peter was afraid of losing a person. They would lose everyone in their life. I think Peter was more afraid of losing the promise. It wasn't that Jesus would die. It was that what Jesus stood for, what Jesus promised would die. And Peter's like, we can't let that happen. Our whole life we've been waiting for someone to conquer evil and usher in a spiritual kingdom. You just said you were the guy and now you're going to die. If that dies, the promise dies. I can't let that happen. I need the promise. And he responded in fear and said, Let's, there's got to be another way. What's crazy is this is the second time this story is told in scripture about 2,000 years apart from each other. Because way back in the beginning of the Bible, we meet a man named Abraham who had faith in God and walked with God. And God said, Abraham, I'm going to use your family to bless the entire world. Like, your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids are going to turn into a nation. They're going to turn into a country. They're going to have land. And like the Savior, the world's going to come for you. You're going to bless the entire world. That's my promise to you. After 25 years of that promise, Abraham knocked on God's door one day and he's like, Remember the promise and the family and the land, the country? God's like, yeah, I remember. And Abraham's like, I don't have any kids. How's this going to work? I don't have any kids. And God's like, you're going to have a kid. And he had a kid, and his name was Isaac. And when Isaac was somewhere between the ages of 13 and 18, in Genesis 22, it says God showed up. 
And even though Isaac was the promise, God said, I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to kill him to prove to me that you trust me. And Abraham, like Peter, could have said in fear, get behind me, God. I ain't doing that. But Abraham responded in faith and said, what you're asking me to do right now makes no sense to me. But I trust you. And he responded in faith. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us this faith story in just a couple verses. It tells us of Abraham's mindset. And it says this in Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. It says, by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises, he believed what God promised him, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, Isaac is the promise. It's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So God told Abraham, sacrifice the promise. And Abraham said, this makes no sense. But I trust God. So I guess we'll figure it out as I'm faithful. Peter heard that the promise might die and said, no, we're not going to do that. My faith is not enough for that. And I think Peter's question would have been maybe some of like our questions. Lord, how, how could suffering be better for my faith walk than surviving? How could pain be better for my relationship with God than, than pleasure or purpose? How could these divine interruptions work for good? I don't want to do this. And he told Jesus, I don't like God's plan in this situation. And he reacted in tremendous fear. And that's what a lot of us do. If I ask you this question, for the person in your life that you've been praying for the most who doesn't know Jesus yet, if it took watching you suffer well for them to know Jesus, would you do it? Most of us would say, how much and for how long would I have to suffer? We're survivors. We're like Peter. Peter's like, man, like, can't there be another way? I'd rather not do it this way. But Peter was not speaking on his own. Because Peter did not, Jesus didn't say, get behind me, Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. So this was an intense moment of spiritual warfare that we know comes from Satan. Which means the third note that we need to be very, very careful about, even in our own Christianity, is it would be Satan's goal to convince you that you can have Christianity without having a cross. Satan would want to convince you you can have all of God's promises and Jesus' blessing in your life without any of the hard stuff. And i got to be really honest with you. That sounds like a good deal. And desiring Christianity without a cross doesn't make us bad people. But it will make us weak Christians if the only cross we see in the Christian story is the one Jesus was on rather than the one he told us to carry. And as we look through scripture at how Satan didn't just tempt Peter, but tempted Jesus, like let's double down on this thought that Satan wants to convince people you can have Christianity without a cross. He started with Jesus. In the temptation of Jesus, he's like, I'm telling you, you can do everything God wants you to do. You do not have to go to the cross. And Jesus was the first one to say, get behind me. Then he told Peter, say it again. 
telling you can have Christianity without a cross. And now he is saying to the Christian world of America in 2022, you can have Christianity, you don't have to have the cross. Let me tell you what Satan tries to offer Christians today. He tries to offer us a Christianity without sacrifice. He tries to offer us a Christianity without suffering. He tries to offer us a Christianity without skin in the game. You don't have to do anything. Grace, love, blah, blah, blah. Raise your hand, go forward. He tries to offer us a Christianity without commitment. Jesus doesn't ask anything of you. A Christianity without discomfort. A Christianity without disagreement. This is the brand of Christianity that Satan wants to convince people they can have. You can be in the game spiritually. You don't have to sacrifice anything. You can be in the game spiritually. Because you have Jesus, you actually never have to suffer. You can be in the game spiritually with no skin in the game because his grace is a license to do whatever you want to do. You can be in the game spiritually without any commitment, no discomfort. God would never ask anyone to do anything that, that they weren't comfortable doing. And God would never disagree with you. You do you. Live your truth. And be a Christian. I would say as I study scripture, very particularly this passage in Matthew chapter 16, that Christianity without these things is not Christianity at all. At least not the Christianity that Jesus offers. I don't think it's wrong to want to have a relationship with Jesus that doesn't have back-breaking sacrifice or soul-crushing suffering. I don't think it's bad to desire to have a relationship with Jesus that doesn't take too much skin in the game or a commitment that changes everything or so much discomfort that you question whether you want to be in it or even disagreement. But when you get to the place where you want Jesus in your life, but without any of these things, when you get to the place where you want to add Jesus to your life so he can help you accomplish what you want to accomplish, Instead of having Jesus in your life so you can help him accomplish what he wants to accomplish, you've begun to listen to Satan say, have a fraudulent Christianity. Even this thought of disagreement. You know, God, like, God would never give you anything, any ideas, any truth that he wouldn't agree with. I love what Pastor Tim Keller says. He said, if you have a God who never disagrees with you, you might have a God that you've made up of your own idolization. Like, if you have a God who never tells you you're wrong, you may have made him up. Like, you are your own God if you have a God who's not allowed to disagree with you. So when we look at spiritual stumbling blocks, having a God that kind of revolves around our life, instead of having a relationship with God that revolves around his mission, we see Peter was kind of caught in this stumbling block trap of having human concerns. How will what God is doing in you impact me negatively? And we see as we head back to verse 21, something that Peter missed. In verse 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Like, did you catch those last few words? Jesus said, all this is going to happen, but at the end, I'm going to be raised to life. Instead of Peter saying, how are you going to do that? 
That would be incredible. That would get their attention. That would be unbelievable. Instead of focusing on the resurrection, we see the bottom line of human concerns. Human concerns always focus on the deaths. Spiritual concerns always focus on the resurrections. Human concerns say, God asked too much of me. Spiritual concerns says, God asked asked this of me, but he must have something different. He must have something better. Human concerns always focus on what God is taking from us. Spiritual concerns always focus on what God is giving us. So Jesus said, this is going to happen. It's going to be really bad, but I'll resurrect on the third day. And instead of Peter seeing how God could leverage that in the world, he's like, no, we don't want to do this suffering. That, that would be very, very uncomfortable. So we see the first perspective in verse 23 is that we can have human concerns. We can think it's all about us. And we can look at how things impact us and make spiritual decisions based on that. Or, number two, we can hear God's spiritual call of self-denial, which is very, very clear in today's text. Spiritual stumbling block, make it all about you. Spiritual calling of Jesus is a calling to self-denial. Look at verse 24. You should have this verse underlined, one of the greatest verses in the New Testament, one of the clearest verses in the New Testament. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Three phrases that I just want to unpack quickly. Deny themselves, circle it. Take up their cross, circle it. Follow me, circle it. Deny themselves. What do we learn? We learn that followers of Jesus live lives that say it's not, a, it's not all about me. It's not about me. Now that I am a Christian, my life is not all about me. I deny myself. In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul would write this. Um, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I used to live for me, but now I am a Christian, so I have died, and I'm still alive in my body, but the only reason I'm alive in my body is to live for Jesus and not me. I've been crucified with him. The life I now live that I still have in my body is his life and the life he wants me to live. So it's not about me anymore. Turn to someone you're with and say, it's not about me. Now say to them, it's all about Jesus. This is the mindset of biblical Christianity. With every good thing that happens to us, with every bad thing that happens to us, with every hard thing that happens to us, our mindset is, regardless of what is happening to me or around me, it's not really about me. I've been crucified with Jesus. I'd rather be in heaven, but for some reason I still have life in my body. The only reason my body is still alive is for me now to live for Jesus. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. Now, I deny myself. My life now is all about Jesus. So I don't ask how things impact me anymore. I ask how things going on inside me can be used to impact others for Jesus. It's just the way I view life now as a Jesus follower. Because Jesus said I have to deny myself. Jesus said, I have to take up my cross, which means as a follower of Jesus, I crucify any passions in my life and any plans in my life that are not the things Jesus wants me to love or that Jesus wants me to do. I've crucified those. I not only don't live for myself anymore, I I live so clearly for Jesus that any plan I had before I became a Christian, if I can't do as a Christian, kill that one. In anything in my life that I loved to do before I was a Christian that Jesus doesn't want me to do anymore, I kill that. Galatians 5.24, 
says, now that you belong to Christ Jesus, you crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Once you become a Christian, you no longer live with what you like and what you want to do. You now live with what Jesus likes and what Jesus wants you to do. That's just what Christianity is when you take up your cross. You crucify those things. Those things are put to death, and now you belong to Christ Jesus. And the way he wants you to live life is the way you live life. And the things he wants you to do are the things you even try to enjoy in life. Because he said you have to take up your cross. And then he says you have to follow me. Which honestly is the only thing I believe that makes the first two possible. Jesus said I will not only suffer first, I will suffer most. I could not ask you to deny yourself or take up your cross. If I didn't do it first, but when I do it, how I do it, and because I did it, shows you how to do it and what will come out of it. See, I think Peter's big problem in Matthew chapter 16 is he had not yet seen the crucified and resurrected Jesus. He just didn't understand how suffering could ever be good for anyone, including the kingdom of God. But then he witnessed the crucifixion and resurrection, and his whole tune changed. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews is telling us how to think and process hard things in life. And he says in Hebrews 12, 1, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Then the author of Hebrews says, consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners so that you won't grow weary and so that you won't lose heart. You say, what changed between Matthew 16 and the apostle that Peter would become? He not only saw Jesus suffer, he saw the impact of Jesus suffering. And he said, okay, I get that. And then Peter went from basically Satan's plan, which is, let's just have nobody suffer, to himself a suffering servant, because he said God uses suffering. Peter went from Satan's plan to suffering servant, because he saw Jesus suffer, and he ended his life in ministry saying this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It's actually the theme verses of our youth camp that we'll be having in Estes Park, Colorado this week. Peter, who said, can we, can we do Christianity without the cross? After the cross would say this. In your spiritual walk, you rejoice greatly. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These sufferings have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, it sounds at first reading like Peter is saying, if you suffer well, Jesus will praise you. That's not what it says at all. Peter is saying this, when you learn how to suffer well, eventually it reveals Jesus in your story, and people see and praise him. Hey, Journey, what if, it, what if it's not the victories 
of Christianity over the next generation in our country that shows the world our Savior? What if it's our defeats? What if, our, what if it's our suffering and our setbacks that shows people Jesus most clearly in our stories? That's the thought of spiritual mindset number three. We suffer like Jesus so that we can become like Jesus because then the world can clearly see Jesus in us. And Jesus kind of wraps this with these famous verses that you've probably heard if you've grown up around church. Whoever wants to save their life is going to lose it. But whoever loses their life, suffers for me, is going to find life. What good is it going to be if you gain the whole world and never suffer? But your soul never reveals Jesus. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he's going to reward each person according to what they've done. Truly, I tell you, some are standing here, will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So Jesus says, you're suffering, and how you suffer, how you see suffering, how you approach suffering, is going to reveal your Savior to the world. I think my favorite part of Scotland, by far the most impactful part of Scotland for me last week, was the spiritual heritage tour that we took in St. Andrews. For those of you who are golf fans, fans, St. Andrews, Scotland is known as the birthplace of golf. They just played the 150th British Open over there. It's a beautiful little town right on the North Sea with the first golf course that was ever created. But the spiritual history of the place is incredible. Because in 15, I think it was 1504, a young man by the name of Patrick Hamilton was born in St. Andrews, Scotland. He was born to a wealthy family that was actually related to the King of Scotland. And when he was 14, he got shipped off to university in Paris, where a Catholic priest by the name of Martin Luther had begun to preach a little different twist on Christianity. A few months earlier, in the fall of 1517, Luther had written what's known in church as the 95 Theses against the corrupt Catholic Church of the time, and he nailed them to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, about the corruption of the church, basically saying that you cannot connect to God unless you're part of the Catholic Church, unless you pay the Catholic Church. Like, basically, he said, the church is standing between us and God, and as I read Scripture, Scripture says it's by, it's by faith through grace that you're saved. You don't have to like belong to a certain church. You just gotta like cry out to God. So Luther had this vision of people being able to connect to God without having to go through the institutional church. He also believed that every Christian should have their own copy of scripture. And he was teaching that in Paris in 1518. Patrick Hamilton went down, he gave his life to Jesus and he became one of the protesting reformers, the Protestant reformers. He went back as a college professor at the University of St. Andrews when he was 23 years old and began teaching this new Christianity that you can be saved by faith through grace. You don't have to pay the church in order to have salvation. And every Christian should have their own copy of Scripture. And the Archbishop of Scotland said, you cannot say that here. They let him teach and preach for 30 days because they said, if we give him a month, he'll make a fool of himself and they'll run him out of town. And after a month, people were giving their lives to Christ. So they said, if you don't stop preaching, we're going to put you in prison. He fled to Germany, he stayed there for six months where basically he wrote a story of his life and the gospel. And God sent him back, said, no, you need to go back to Scotland and reach your family and friends. So he went back to St. Andrews. 
and he began to preach and teach at the university again. Several of his family members and close friends got saved. And the archbishop had him arrested, and he would become the first Scottish reformer to be killed, martyred, for telling people they could be saved and connected to God without having to be a part of the institutional church. As we walked the streets of St. Andrews, literally just off the sidewalk as you stepped off the curb, this little brick formation was on the road as you crossed the street, a little PH. And the guy giving us the spiritual heritage tour stopped and he said, you see that PH on the ground right there? He said, that's where Patrick Hamilton was burned in the stake in 1528 for telling people they could be saved by faith and grace alone and for telling people they should all have their own Bibles so that they could know who Jesus is personally. It took him six hours to die because the wood was wet. History says that they kept putting gunpowder in the pockets of his coat because they thought that might ignite the fire quicker, but all it did was take chunks of flesh out of him as the fire would keep going out and they'd light it again and it would go out. They had to light it six different times between noon and 6 p.m. And the entire six hours that he was attached to the stake, burning to death, he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they said dozens and dozens of people came to faith who'd shown up to watch him burn to death. And the archbishop would say the stench of his death reached the nostrils of every person in Scotland. He didn't mean the smell of smoke. He meant the testimony of his suffering. So they made an edict that every reformer they killed after him would have to be killed in private in the basement of a prison because the death of the martyrs would reach more than the life of the martyrs. Is that the story of your suffering? That when you suffer most, deepest, longest, and people watch you, they see Jesus more clearly than they've ever seen him before. I told you this message is a message of tension because we want people to see Jesus in us and we want to be like Jesus. But like Peter, we'd rather not suffer. But the spiritual mindset says suffering. Jesus went first. He suffered most. He set us a template for how to show the world who he is on our darkest days. There's a lot of things in life we need to leverage for Jesus. Probably the hardest moments we need to leverage most because people are paying attention the closest when the whole world around us seems to be on fire. What has God said to you about your faith, your suffering, your friend, their hardships, the time you're going through? And what do you need to do about it to inch closer to God and his plan for your life today. If you can answer those questions, then it's been a good day spiritually for you and your next steps. Would you pray with me as we consider those? <sighs> Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room, but hearts are open. What has God said to your heart? How does your perspective need to shift so that very specifically in suffering, the call of self-denial is louder than the call of human concern. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus personally, the story of the Bible is that Jesus suffered and he died as punishment for sin so that we would not have to if we acknowledge our need of a Savior and our need for forgiveness. 
If you've never done that today, you can do that. Just like Martin Luther and Patrick Hamilton taught, by faith, because of God's grace, which means his gift. You don't have to come to this church or any church ever again. The free gift of God is the salvation of your soul, the forgiveness of your sins. And if today you feel like God is calling you to follow him in that, after you become a Christian, there'll be sacrifice, there'll be commitment, there'll be discomfort, there might even be some disagreement. You'll have to put some skin in the game. But salvation, that's free. And if you need it today, you just need to tell God from your heart to heaven where you're seated. You don't have to pray it out loud. But you can just pray something like this right where you're seated from your heart to heaven. Just say, God, you can repeat after me. Just say, God, I need your salvation. If it is really free, today I receive it by faith. Which means I don't understand it all. But I need it. God, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from my past. Heal me of my hurts. And God, lead me into my future. Help me to deny myself. Take up my cross. And follow you. Today, I commit to be a Christian and to follow your way of life until I'm with you forever and eternally in heaven. If you just prayed with me in just a second, I'll let you know how you can let us know so that we can follow up with you. Christians, before we say our final amen, what has God said to you about your suffering and the impact that it could have if we would suffer like Jesus, to become more like Jesus? so the world could see us like they see Jesus. If God has spoken a word into your heart, just receive it. Ask God to help you act on it and begin to take your next step spiritually. Jesus, thank you for your honesty. Thank you that you told us that to be your disciple, we're going to have to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow you. But you told us there are always resurrections involved in the death of things that will happen as we walk with you. So let us be people focused on spiritual concerns. Let us be people focused on resurrections. And let us walk through the sufferings and the deaths with a dignity and a trust and a faith that shows our world who our Savior is. That's our prayer. And God, we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen.